How to Live Debt-Free. Welcome to Stewardship and Romance, a Biblical Marriage and Family Online Training Center. This is our third episode on the topic of financial stewardship. You'll be learning how to get out of debt and stay out of debt by taking some decisive steps of action. You may think you've heard all this before, but hang in there with us to the end. You may be surprised. So let's get started with Episode 8, Living Debt-Free. According to an article in Consumer Reports, January 30th, 2020, debt is a key reason so many millennials are falling behind financially. Quote, a new Bank of America survey found that more than three quarters of millennials are carrying debt, such as student loans and credit card balances. Of those, 16% owe $50,000 or more, not including mortgage debt. Nearly 8 out of 10 millennials with debt say they can't achieve their personal or financial goals because of it, including buying a house or saving for the future. That sounds a little dismal, I I realize that. But don't worry, there's hope. If you have a great deal of consumer debt right now, there is a way through it. Let's take a look at what the Bible says and doesn't say about debt. In this next segment, uh, I'll be sharing a portion from... uh, an article from Focus on the Family entitled, A Biblical Perspective on Debt. So this is a quote from that article. Number one, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to borrow. While the Bible offers many warnings about the dangers of debt, it never says that you are out of God's will or violating one of God's commandments when you borrow. We can debate the wisdom of incurring debt under certain circumstances, but it's never a black and white issue. And there are cases where debt is simply unavoidable. Medical emergencies, job layoffs, or bankruptcy, for instance. Romans 13.8 is often used to, quote, prove that borrowing is sinful. But this verse is primarily concerned with relationships, not money issues. Number two, it doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say it's wise to borrow. So it's not wise to borrow may be permissible to borrow, but it's not wise to borrow. Nowadays, you can find many financial pundits who will tell you that leverage, the use of borrowed money to buy assets for appreciation, is the way to prosperity. It goes without saying that this is not a biblical perspective. Absolutely nowhere in scripture are we advised or commanded to use debt to accomplish God-given economic goals. On the contrary, the Bible contains many warnings against the use of debt. Number three, the Bible doesn't say God will bail you out of debt. Some Christians who are heavenly indebted seem to have the impression that God has promised to get them out of their problems. The verse most cited is Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That promise is true, of course, and God will meet our needs, but he hasn't pledged himself to cancel the consequences of our unwise behavior. And I'd like to add in here that God doesn't always give us just what we deserve. He has mercy, and he will at times lift a burden for us, even though we don't deserve it. Number four from this article, the Bible doesn't say debt is an exercise in faith. To say that we're exercising faith by borrowing money is the same as saying that God needs to use a lender to meet our needs. 
In fact, in many cases, we put the lender in the place of God and allow him to fulfill the desire of our hearts as opposed to our true needs. In some ways, this can be interpreted as a denial of faith. Take the example of Christian missionary evangelist George Mueller. This is something I'm interjecting here. I did a little study on George Mueller uh, on the other side of the spectrum here. George Mueller, he asked for no money and he had no debt, but cared for 120,000 orphan children in his lifetime simply by praying and trusting God for provision. So there are times where God instructs us, no debt, just go ahead and trust me for this one and I'm going to do it myself. And then there's there may be some other times where you're, you're sensing, yeah, I, I need to get a second mortgage on my house to make this work. We've done it ourselves, haven't we, May? Mm-hmm. We've had to do that for various reasons and it's not a, a sin to do that. Uh, it's just that you're going to have to pray first before you do it. Number five, go back to the article again. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to loan money. Just as the Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to borrow money, it also doesn't say that it's a sin to loan money. Nevertheless, it's important to remember that when you loan someone money, you inevitably change your relationship with that person, even if he or she is your own child, and the change usually isn't for the better. What then does the Bible have to say about debt? This is an extremely important question, since there are circumstances under which certain key biblical principles seem almost to compel us to borrow money. For instance, in 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul writes, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What does this mean for parents who don't have ready cash on hand, pay for a child's emergency surgery, arrange nursing care for an aged loved one. Clearly, it's possible to find ourselves in situations where the implied command to care for family members may outweigh all other financial considerations. Sometimes we must in order to adequately care for our own. If and when we are obliged to incur debt, there are three important biblical concepts that we that should govern our borrowing decisions. So the first biblical concept that is going to govern our borrowing decisions is, number one, it's wrong not to repay debts. Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Does this mean that it's always wrong for a Christian to declare bankruptcy? Not necessarily. Our legal system allows individuals and businesses in distress to regroup and reestablish themselves under the protection of bankruptcy laws. Ultimately, however, a believer has a moral obligation to repay his or her creditors to the best of their ability. Number two, second principle, it's foolish to put yourself in a surety situation. We're talking about co-signing now, our modern day word for that. In case the definition is required, surety is a formal commitment to guarantee another person's loan. Proverbs 11.15 says, He who puts up security for another will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to strike hands in a pledge is safe. If you're in a surety situation, co-signing, the Bible advises you to waste no time in getting out of it. If you feel you have no choice, for example, if you're helping an adult child who is financially strapped, we'd recommend that you set aside the money in a separate account and absolutely expect to repay that debt. 
Number three, third principle is debt may violate two biblical principles that directly affect our relationship with God. First, while the Bible does not say it's wrong to borrow money, it does warn us against presuming upon the future. The quote from the Bible is, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That's James 4. Second, by borrowing, you may be denying God an opportunity to provide. The Lord has promised to supply all our needs. That's Philippians 4.19. I have a story about that. Yeah, well, go for it. So, yeah, so we um, had made a commitment not to go into uh, credit card debt, more credit card debt. Um, And we had a furnace that went out. So we had a winter season where there was no heat in our house, except for we had a gas fireplace. And we had space heaters kind of throughout the house that were run on electricity, but we didn't have a furnace. So there, it was very cold. And uh, our oldest daughter had moved back home after being away um, with the Master's Commission in Michigan. And she had told somebody in the church that she was cold. And um, we they were just running our house on space heaters. And that person at church told somebody else um, some of the home group leaders, and I guess there were two home groups that were the one that we were in, the one that Laura was in, that were talking together about raising money to buy us a furnace, but we didn't know this. And um, we found out on a, a day it was snowing outside, John and I were out procuring auction donations from local businesses for our school auction. And we came back, and our garage was open, and there was somebody in the garage putting a new furnace in our house. And so we had to find out what the backstory was on that, and we found out that um, there was another person in the church that had a parent that lost a house to a foreclosure, and the they had put a new furnace in their house. I'm not sure if I have the story right exactly, but they had taken the furnace out because they had just put a furnace in. And so they took the furnace out, and it was just being stored somewhere. And then for some reason, their son was in real estate and was able to get the house back from the bank for their parents. In the meantime, the bank had put a new furnace in the house. So there was this spare furnace sitting in storage, and this person was in our church, um, and so he said, well, maybe this furnace would fit in their house. And then there was another person that overheard that on a Sunday and said, um, I am a furnace installer, and I can get the specs on it and see if it's the right fit for their square footage and their situation, and they found out it was. So there was a free furnace sitting there. And so at the very end of this whole thing, we had everybody over to our house for a meal to thank everybody involved, and we found out that the the person that put the furnace in was having a financial issue with his family, and so the money that the home groups raised for us to get a furnace went to that family, the installer 
of the furnace. The parents got their house back. We got a furnace. The couple that needed cash at that time, the furnace installer got the cash, and everybody just received such a blessing. But, you know, we had made that decision not to go into credit card debt for that furnace, and that's, you know, that was mercy, I guess, God, God helping us in a situation where it was, you know, we were, we were going to be patient and just wait until we had the money we were saving for it. But then there was an intervention. <laughs> so grateful for the body of Christ and the church and all the people that um, came alongside us in those years. And we have the treasure in our backpack that we want to share how, you know, what a blessing that was to us. Yeah great story yeah thanks for bringing that up right at that point what do you do if you find yourself in any kind of consumer debt number one pray and wait on the lord for an answer the scripture says you do not have because you do not ask as james 4 2 sometimes when there's a problem we do everything in our power to solve it then as a last resort we pray but our loving generous heavenly father actually prefers that we come to him sooner rather than later. We can avoid a lot of pain in life just by bringing every issue, great or small, directly before the throne of grace, as it's described in Hebrews 4.16. Tell God that you are willing to do your part and ask him for what you need, specifically. God really likes it when we put him on the spot and say, God, I need this specific thing, because then when it's done, you can give glory to God that he did that specific thing. If you're too general, then you know it's kind of hard to give him glory for something general. So make it as specific as you can and write it down. I actually remember doing that when I was in second grade. We, I had the class pray for certain needs and I asked him, so what, what uh, do you want God to do for various people in your life? And we, on one side of the chalkboard, wrote down the requests and the other side we saved for the answers. So every day we pray for the same needs over and over again and the, the kids were just full of faith praying and lo and behold those things started getting answered and we started uh, writing down answers on the right side of the chalkboard and pretty soon other teachers and administrators were coming into the class going wow this is amazing can we take a picture of your board and and wow this is their their faith was boosted too just by seeing these second graders pray and get answers to these specific prayers. So I figure if a second grader can do it, then we can all do it, right? We're uh, we're talking about waiting on the Lord for an answer. Uh, this is all about sonship. So there's a difference between a slave and a son. Big difference. A slave gets hired to do what they're hired to do, and but a son has a, a relationship with the father that's very special and they they have an inheritance they're in a completely different spot uh, so we're not we are not to come to God as though we were his slaves asking for mercy uh, we come to him as sons and daughters sons and daughters of the most high he wants us to learn how to steward what he puts in our charge because he's treating us as sons and daughters and you're going to hear us talk about that a lot on this podcast because we have a uh, just a I think a, a big revelation of what it means to be a, a steward when we say steward we mean us acting as a son and daughter of God 
versus not. Uh, put another way, you are co-laboring with Christ. So co-laboring in Him is the same thing as sonship. It's just another way of putting it. He is walking th- through this with you. There are certain things He may want to do, uh, and there's other things that uh, that will do. So some things will do, some things He'll do. That's what co-laboring is all about. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight says, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Remember that even when we're doing our part, we acknowledge that it's only by His grace. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Without me, you can do nothing. Number two, follow a proven debt elimination plan. There's no question that getting out of debt is a wise decision. The next question is, how? We recommend that you get out of debt as fast as you can. Uh, Dave Ramsey calls that gazelle intensity. Go as fast as you can. Then take steps to ensure that you don't slip back into debt again. If you are currently deeply in debt now, we recommend that you take Dave Ramsey's course. It's called Financial Peace University. There are many local churches that host this seminar on a regular basis. Uh, You may even find one in your area. There are seven steps to follow in the course, but on this podcast, we're just going to talk about three of them. We're going to keep it really simple. So here's the first three from Dave Ramsey's course. First baby step is make every effort to get $1,000 in your emergency savings fund. You might be thinking, well, I don't have $1,000, so where am I going to come up with $1,000? I don't make $1,000 extra money. So, well, you don't need to. Here's some things you can do that where you can come up with that fund so that you're not uh, constantly dipping into the credit card. Where, where we should be dipping is into our emergency fund for emergencies, not into the credit card for emergencies. So here's some ideas on how to reduce your expenses to the point where you can assign funds each month to your emergency fund. One idea, you may think of more than this, but there's a few that that we think are good. Stop using your credit cards and pay just the minimum amount due each month on each card until you reach the $1,000 mark in your emergency fund. So you might be thinking, well, isn't the idea to get rid of the credit card, so shouldn't I be paying a lot on it to get rid of it sooner? Uh, No. Uh, Actually, step one is you need to cut your dependence on the credit card and get the emergency fund. So you're, you're trying to do one thing at a time. So your first goal isn't to pay off your credit card. It's to put together an emergency fund and then you can pay off your credit card. We'll get into that later. And another idea of creating those funds for your emergency fund would be put yourself on a realistic budget. And for a little help with that, you can go back and listen to episode seven where we talk about household budgeting. Another idea, as much as possible, stop eating out and also cut out as many unnecessary food purchases as possible. It's hard to do that. We realize that, isn't it, Meg? Yeah, it's really fun to do an analysis of your checking account to see in your debit card what you're spending your money on on a weekly basis because you'll find out it's quite surprising how much we spend on things like coffee um, or stopping here and there for this and that. It's amazing (laughs) when you find out, you know, do the analyst analysis analysis and you'll you'll be surprised yeah exactly 
Another idea is to get on a monthly budgeted plan for utilities rather than being surprised. Whoa, I have to pay all this money for my gas bill. Well, there's a number of utilities that will let you set up a regular monthly payment. So you're paying the same thing all year long, regardless of what it is, what the usage is. They, they compute an average usage for you. So if you're making a, the same amount every month and you're on salary, then that works really well for you to try that. Uh, shop for less expensive insurance. Maybe you might be able to save a little money there by doing that. Or you can look at your, your present policy and see if there's anything that is fluff. You can maybe reduce your rate even by $20 by taking out some of the fluff. So read over your policy and see what's in it. Yes. So once you do discover that fluff, then you can put that right into your emergency fund. Uh, give simple but meaningful gifts instead of expensive items. I know Meg is really big on that. She loves giving gifts, but her gifts don't cost much because many of them she makes herself, right, Meg? Yep. Yeah. Uh, cut out as many luxuries and entertainment expenses as possible, especially unnecessary monthly subscriptions. So you want to go through and think in your budget, what's a luxury? Uh, where am I spending on entertainment where I don't really need to? And I cut back on these things in any way. Uh, just think it through. Um, assign any unexpected income to your emergency fund. So a lot of us, have we have windfalls that'll come up, unexpected income of suddenly, wow, where did I get that check? Or, oh, some, this... How did that get there? Well, instead of spending that, put it in your emergency fund because that's your goal, to stock it. You were going to say me? Oh, I was just thinking, um, just to give you some reference, who, whoever's listening to this, um, John, how much were you making per year? When we first, when well, I first started teaching? No, not when you were first, but just like, you know, with five kids... All of our kids were in private school, private Christian school, paying tuition every month, and you were making. I was making uh, how much a month? About thirty-six hundred a month, thirty-four to thirty-six hundred dollars a month per month. Right. Net. Okay. So, just to give you some reference, you know, thirty-six hundred dollars a month. Five, ch- seven of us living in a house. We owned a house, and how did we make that stretch? And and try to stay out of debt. It was quite a miracle. So John was very, very good at budgeting so that we we um, weren't going into more debt. So yeah. I, I'm really, really grateful for that. Yeah. And, yeah. and when I first started teaching back in 81, uh, I was making only 14 k per year. So yeah. I remember in those years, we were our first apartment, we were uh, sitting on beanbag chairs. Yep. Remember all the different things we did. We yep. had a mattress on the floor. Yep. You know, just we lived very simply. We did. And I had a, you know, when I got married to John, I was driving this little cute uh, convertible Fiat X19 with a hard top that went in the front. And I couldn't keep that because our budget wasn't, wasn't matching that payment. So we were making those payments diligently, faithfully every week um, or every month. Actually, my dad had um, helped me with that when I was single. And then when we got married, there wasn't the income. And I was making a little bit of money, but not very much. And so um, anyway, 
we ended up selling that car and we lived on one car for all of the kids upbringings we didn't have until they got into high school then and they started getting their driver's license and we started adding cars but there was there was one car so that that's another way we simplified our budget and not everybody can do that but we were all in one school John was teaching there. I was volunteering there. So it worked. Yeah. And our activities were basically surrounding all that. So a lot of times that's impossible in this day because we have lessons here and sports there and everybody's going all different directions. So anyway, it worked for us, but it might not work for everybody. Yeah. Understanding yes. that. And when we needed extra money, we did side hustles. Remember that, Meg? Mm-hmm. Yep, we, we did, did a mm-hmm. number of different side businesses. Yep, that would come up. Yep, I taught ballet in the in my home. I did Mary Kay. I did Discovery Toys when the kids were little, so I could have people over and sell toys or sell makeup. Um, you know, it wasn't a lot, but it was something, and it kind of matched the age of the kids, so they got to enjoy the toys. And I still have those toys today for our grandkids. So. <laughs> It wasn't a bad thing. Anyway, um, so there's lots of things you can do yeah. at side hustles. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea here is to scoot this excess income into your emergency fund column mm-hmm. on your spreadsheet. Uh, so the idea is to reduce your expenses to the point that you can assign any excess funds each month to that emergency fund. And this is going to take constant effort and repeated choices. I like that phrase, don't you? Constant mm-hmm. effort. Repeated choices. Yep. We kind of grew up that way, uh, teaching our kids that little phrase. Um, we have to do that, at least for a period of time, to do that, to get that emergency fund in place. And don't give up. We think it helps to take some steps to keep yourself encouraged during this rather painful process. Sometimes it helps to post a visual image of what you want to achieve in a place where you see it every day, such as on your refrigerator. Remember that? Meg just constantly, if something would come up, we have a vision for something, it goes in the refrigerator. Yeah. And we're able to see it and pray over it and mm-hmm. be excited about getting it done. Yeah, on the inside of the cupboard, I had um, a bunch of thermometers with our debt reduction for the, the, the credit cards we did have. And so as we started paying them off, after we had our emergency fund completely funded, then we started paying off the credit cards. So the thermometers would be going down, 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 down until empty. And that was fun. Yes. So the main thing is to stay encouraged. What Meg was saying helped kept us encouraged. Another thing you can do for encouragement is write Bible promises on three by five cards and then review them. Just say them out loud every single day. It's the word that transforms, the word that brings encouragement to our hearts. God's word is enormous power. So you just say it over and over and over even if you can put it in your own words and pray it to the Lord that's even more powerful we call that meditation and that's going to be the subject of another podcast so I'm digressing but yeah do whatever it takes to stay encouraged so that's baby step one get that thousand dollar emergency fund in place baby step two pretend that you've got that a thousand dollars now set aside and you're not touching it unless it's a real emergency now we're going to step two step two is pay off all personal debt except your home. That's a big step, but it's possible. Uh, Each month, take that same extra income you use to build your emergency fund, plus any windfalls, and use those funds to pay off the debt with the lowest 
balance. The lowest balance first. You might think, well, wow, why lowest balance? Wouldn't I attack the, the biggest mountain first? No, uh, economists are actually seeing these days that it makes much more sense to, uh, to take the lowest one first and then um, it, it becomes a debt snowball. So after you've eliminated that low one, now you've freed up those funds to attack the next one. It's, it uh, actually is it's easier mentally to think of it like that. So imagine having a debt wiped out. It's not even there on your grid. It's not on your spreadsheet anymore. It kind of lifts your spirit like, wow, we actually paid off the debt. It's gone. And then it just encourages you so that you can go on and eliminate the next one. So you continue this process until all of your consumer debt is paid in full. And Dave Ramsey, like I've said, calls that the debt snowball. Don't be surprised if God intervenes with some surprises along the way because that's his nature. He wants to train you as a son, but he also wants to surprise you with his extravagance. Um, That's what happened with us while we were working diligently on step two. We were busy cutting our budget and diligently paying off some large consumer debt that had accumulated. Then along came an inheritance. And so we paid off the remaining balance with one stroke. That was fun, wasn't it, May? Mm-hmm. Just all the debt, boop, gone. Yeah. And when, when, if that should happen to you, get something larger like that, it's not a time to go, oh, wow, we can go buy a boat now. <laughs> no, it's it's time to re- just get rid of your debt, just clean swipe. I even listened to a podcast the, just yesterday uh, about how there was a couple that were deeply in debt, and um, their answer we're not saying that you should go and do this, but their answer was sell their home. So they did. They sold their home. They got completely out of debt, and now they're debt-free. And so that can happen. All right, baby step three is save three to six months worth of expenses in your emergency fund. Keep this in a money market account, but don't plan on using it for investing These funds are for your protection should you lose your job or another major financial need comes up. Of course, once you use those funds, be sure to replenish the account as soon as possible. You can do a rough estimate on how many months of income you need to be saved by taking a look at your typical monthly cash flow. If your income is very regular and stable, maybe you won't need six months of income in reserve. In our situation, we decided to reserve three months of income then slowly save more using future windfalls. All right, so that's it for the baby steps, one, two, and three. Uh, Now let's talk about how do we keep from getting back into debt? So it's one thing to get out of debt. It's another thing to stay out of debt. So here's one idea. Be content with what you have. Remember, if if you get out of debt but continue to spend more than your budget allows, you'll go right back into debt again. And this is nothing to do with how much money people make. I've heard stories of people making lots and lots of money, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or more per year. But they're also deeply in debt. So it has nothing to do with your income, how much your salary is at all. It's a mindset. The secret to successfully breaking this cycle is a change of heart. Whatever is in the heart will always come out the mouth. And Jesus actually said that himself. And whatever comes out of your mouth, of course, is going to be shortly translated into action. Usually the reason why we overspend is because we're not content. Uh, In Philippians 4, 
11 to 13, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned, in whatever situation I am in, to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Ask God to show you if you've been discontented and forgive you. And that's just part of daily life. When we, the Holy Spirit points out a sin, just be quick to, so, to say, yes, I see it. Lord, please forgive me. I just plead the blood of Jesus over that sin. And then you can move on. Yeah. Number two way to stay out of debt is pray before making any major purchase. Pray and ask God to show you what is in your heart. What is your motivation in buying that item? Another good idea would be to wait at least 24 hours before making a major purchase. It gives you a little time to sleep on it, talk about it, pray over it, and make a better decision. Usually those split-second decisions, the ones that we have under high pressure, uh, a lot of times those don't turn out well. Remember that made me... we were at timeshare presentation and we said yes to it because it was so attractive you know and we thought oh we can do this it would be so much fun not that there's anything wrong with doing timeshare but for us it wasn't a wise decision and so we did have that three day right of rescission didn't we so mm-hmm. we we yep. took that three day rescission and we rescinded it yep. and realized oh this is not in our best interest and so we're not sad that we made that choice. It was actually a blessing because you were thinking vacation or bigger house. So we had a little bit of extra income at that moment. So th- there was some, you know, some income we could direct somewhere. And we were living in about 1,100 square foot house with seven of us. And I was um, very much learning contentment in that house and trying to make it as as clutter-free and beautiful and useful. Every nick and every corner had storage, had something in it. We actually took over the garage because we needed more space for the kids to play inside. But um, instead of getting a timeshare, we bought a new house with more bedrooms and yeah. and more land, and, and that was a good thing we did that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and, and we, we this is our third house now i can't believe we've come from making 14k per year to being on our third house and uh, having no consumer debt of any kind and uh, being actually able to pay additional payments on our house god really blessed us uh, so anyway sleep on it when it comes to major decisions pray about it and this is what will curb any tendency towards impulse buying and will give you some time to more carefully consider your decision. Don't let anyone slick talk you into making a major purchase immediately. They'll say things like, this offer is only good today, then it's gone. (laughs) If that's really the case, then run away from that like the plague. Third way that you can uh, stay out of debt would be maintain a zero balance on all your credit cards or don't have any credit cards. Just don't use them. So we recommend that you don't use credit cards for any purchase unless you have a history of successfully paying the balance to zero within 30 days from your savings. 
If this seems impossible for you, then don't do it. Cut up your credit cards and use debit only. Keep in mind that you you don't need credit cards in order to have a credit score. Some people think, oh, credit card means credit score. But no, you don't need it. If you have any type of financing whatsoever, such as a car loan or a mortgage or student loans, you probably already have a credit score. So don't let that be the excuse for having a credit card. All right, so now let's um, talk about what your tools are, because obviously this podcast is just an introduction to the subject of debt elimination uh, to get your feet wet. So now we're going to give you something where you can get into the, the meat of it and really take a hold of it, run with it. So we highly recommend the course Financial Peace University, which I spoke about earlier by Dave Ramsey. And there's a couple ways that you can get into this course. One is find one in your area, um, in a church or a community center, wherever you can find it, just to do some searching online. But And then there's another way that you can actually get it um, and have it in your own home and bring your friends or relatives or whoever into your home and, and show them the course right in your own living room. Uh, this course um, is going to walk you through to financial freedom. It was the financial life changer for us when we arranged our five children. And like I said, to this day, we have no consumer debt, no student loans, no car loans. It's just our mortgage. And as we said, there's seven steps and we've discussed steps one through three. But when you get to steps four through seven, that's going to cover uh, planning for retirement, uh, college funding, paying off your mortgage and wealth building. And so we highly recommend that. And if you're not able to uh, afford that course, either attending it or having it in your home, maybe at least get the book, Financial Peace Revisited. That's the latest book on that system. And, and you can purchase it right through our website. Uh, and uh, leave, there's a link to that in your show notes. You can go right to stewardshipandromance.com slash resources. And you'll see it right on that page. Just scroll down to see the, the picture of that book. And the course, of course, is right beside it. Just click that and then you can use that to uh, help you with this step. So this concludes episode eight, Living Debt Free. So if you're listening while you're driving right now, no worries. When you stop, go to the show notes of this episode in your app. And there you'll find everything you need, an outline of this teaching a link to the course Financial Peace University, as well as the book Financial Peace Revisited. And you'll also see other links to our other financial articles and podcasts. Uh, We look forward to hearing your testimonials, and we hope that you'll share this episode with your friends. So once again, our rallying cry is based on John 14, 26, and it's by the Holy Spirit, I can do it. So let's say it together. One, two, three. By By the the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, I can can do do it. it.